The fear that it'll happen again and that nothing will change. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. Both of us just about as worn out as we could be from the last few weeks of news. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, appears at houstonchronicle.com. Hello, sir. How are you? Uh, it's, you know, Like you said, it's been three weeks of you know, basically hell, you know, trying mm-hmm. to cover this story and to try to hear all the news coming in and out of Uvalde. Right. And there are so many conflicting reports still about three weeks out uh, from the actual shooting. And we don't have all the detail of what actually happened that day. Um, And I do want to say something about the reason that we're going to focus again exclusively on the shooting is that I did have a friend say earlier this week that when it comes to tragedies like this, it it can be a make or break week for the story in about the third week of it, because People start to move on with their lives and other things, of course, happen that are important. And we're going to talk about all of those things that are happening in this state and in this country that affect Texas that are important. Um, But I want to focus in on this shooting for one more show. And here's the reason. Remember when we first started talking about this, Jeremy? I made this point. I believe this as uh, as a newsman and as, as a human is that when you get into these arguments about guns, about gun control, about school security, all this stuff, the first people you need to hear from are the victims and their families, the people who are affected by this, because if you know, and you're not wrong that it's been hell for so many of us, but imagine the hell they're going through. You, You made that point on social media. It's just unbelievable. And so for all the people we heard from this week about the shooting in Uvalde, you heard from Matthew McConaughey, who we're not going to start with, but you're going to hear from him. You heard from a teacher who was injured in one of the classrooms, and you're going to hear from him here during the show, but we're not going to start with him. We're going to start with the little girl whose voice is just burned into my brain now, because at first she didn't want to talk about this on camera. I I think, um, and look, the TV crews that go in to try to cover these stories, they try to be sensitive. There's an art form to that. You know, you you do want to get the truth out there, but these people are going through a lot, right? They're traumatized. And so being, inter- I mean, it's hard, think about, it's hard enough for, for any of you listening, it would be tough enough if you were interviewed on TV for the very first time in your life um, about anything, maybe even if it was some, about something nice, like maybe your, your, your kid won the national spelling bee or something like that, something cool. Well, what if it was something that was a nightmare? What would that be like? So this little girl, um, 11 years old, uh, her name is Mia Cedillo. And when she was first approached about an interview, and again, this is, this is a little girl. Uh, she didn't want to be on camera, and the reporting was that she didn't want to talk to any men because the shooter was a man, and she just didn't want to talk to men at all. So she would only talk to a woman and only off camera. Okay, that's where she was a couple weeks ago, and and that's when we started to hear the story about how she was able to survive the shooting in that classroom where this guy was just going wild. And what you'll hear first here is a little girl who's now being, and think about how far she's come in just a week or so. And she'll be traumatized the rest of her life for sure. But but she was able to sit down and on camera have a conversation with a man. And this conversation was played for a committee of the United States Congress. And the first thing she talks about here is what happened when the shooter came in. And her teacher said that what they needed to do was hide All the kids needed to hide behind their desks and a stack of backpacks. 
then we went to go hide behind my teacher's desk and behind the backpacks and then he shot the little window and then he went to the other classroom and then he went there's a door between our classrooms and he went to there and shot my teacher and told my teacher goodnight and shot her in the head and then he shot some of my classmates and the whiteboard. So he shot the teacher, shot other kids, started shooting at the whiteboard in the in the classroom. How what you you have sort of heard the story of how she got out of there, but listen to her talk about how she got out of there without being killed by this guy. When I went to the backpacks, uh, he shot my friend that was next to me, and I thought he was going to come back to the room, so I grabbed the blood and I put it all over me. And... What did you do then, when you put the blood on yourself? Just stay quiet, and then I got my teacher's phone and called my mom. Imagine Jeremy having the wherewithal to think of all that as that was unfolding. The teacher's advice was to hide behind backpacks. The teacher is killed. Then you have other classmates killed. She puts blood on her body to pretend she's dead and gets the phone from the teacher to call 911. Now, for all the reports of the cops just standing around doing nothing, and again, there's all sort of finger pointing about all of that now. Listen to this. You couldn't stop one mother who showed up on the scene, who raced there as soon as she could. She was pushing past those police to get inside and save her kids. She says that the police told her they would arrest her if she tried to go in while that shooting was unfolding. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me because I'm going in there and I'm telling you right now, I don't see none of y'all in there. Y'all are standing with snipers and y'all are far away. I'm, if y'all don't go in there, I'm going in there. Could not be stopped. Don't, don't get in the way of the mother, Jeremy. Um, Arnulfo Reyes is a teacher who was there in one of the classrooms and he was injured during the shooting, he somehow made it out alive as well and says he cannot forgive the cops for just standing around. Remember, all the reporting is they were standing outside the classrooms, not going in. The kids were calling, uh, you know, try, trying to get their attention, not just shouting out, but also calling 911 on cell phones. Um, and Reyes uh, was interviewed on Good Morning America and says, look, forgiveness for the cops, that ain't going to happen. Um, and you can hear uh, in this report, you'll hear a little bit of the cops getting in the way of people who are trying to get in. And then you hear what this teacher was praying to God. He, he was praying that something might happen to change the scenario in real time. Parents outside begging for police to save the children. You know that there are kids, right? They're little kids. They don't know how to defend themselves. You said you were praying. Do you remember what you were praying for, what you were saying in your prayers i prayed the lord's prayer i prayed my hell mary reyes says eventually he heard officers come back telling the gunman through the door they want him to come out to talk that they don't want to hurt anybody but then silence again more 911 calls including from reyes's classroom but it isn't until 12:50 p.m one hour and 17 minutes after the gunman entered the classrooms that border patrol busts in killing the shooter after that it was just bullets everywhere, and then I just remember Border Patrol saying, um, 
get up, get up. And I couldn't get up. Did you feel abandoned in that moment by police, by the people who are supposed to protect you? Absolutely. After everything, I get more angry because you have a bulletproof vest. I had nothing. I had nothing. You're supposed to protect and serve. There is no excuse for their actions. And I will never forgive them. I will never forgive them. Jeremy, I think part of why his story is especially important for the public policy questions around this is that you do have, and I've had a lot of conversations about this this week with people, uh, about about this fact, that the uh, weaponry in the United States and around the world and the armor that people are literally putting on their bodies, we saw this in, in Buffalo and yep. uh, in Uvalde, uh, people are going in there like soldiers of fortune now. I mean, yep. it's so much more sophisticated. The weaponry is modernized and the laws around guns are not right. They're basically the same laws that we've had for many years. And so when people say, well, we can't go messing with the laws, um, there, there, there is nothing, um, about the gun restrictions that we have in Texas, which at this point, very, very minimal. Um, nothing about it that's in line with the technological advances that had been made when it comes to what a shooter in a school might be able to do and how cops might actually feel outgunned by the person who's in there. Yeah, exactly. They're not only are they more armed, but they they have all that armor on them. They've cleared out the army surplus store already, so they're like well protected. And then they're right. going into these places where people are completely vulnerable. That's what throws the thing off. It's like it's, it's one thing if they were going into like you know a, a you know a, a world where people could defend themselves, but like the fact that like you know I've said it before, like in Buffalo is like it's literally grandmothers in a shopping line, you know, unarmed, you know, in the this guy was you know armed to the teeth and bulletproof vest stuff and then same thing with this kid you know this guy goes into a school like you know unarmed children you know we're talking nine ten and eleven year olds you know is it can it just it's it just throws you it makes no sense none of it makes any sense at this point trying to make sense of this is it's it it makes your head hurt kimberly rubio is a reporter at the local newspaper there in Ubaldi. And uh, imagine, Jeremy, you know, you, you talked last week about as a reporter, your first thought when you hear about something like this happening is, how will I get to the scene? How do I cover this thing? Rubio, her daughter was killed in that school. And she and her yeah. husband were there earlier in the day for an award ceremony. You remember the week of the shooting. We saw all these pictures of the kids because it's the time of year when they get their AB honor roll certificates and things like that. It's supposed to be the happiest time, right? You're going to celebrate. And then for little kids, they're thinking it's two days and then school's out. It's summertime. Yep. It's time to go to the lake. It's time to hang out. It's time to just chill with friends. And, you know, when we were kids, uh, you know, uh, steal cigarettes and just have a good time and be a kid, right? Well, they did not get to do that. They attended the award ceremony uh, for their daughter, Lexi. Um, and then the rest of the day took a horrible turn. Lexi received the Good Citizen Award and was also recognized for receiving all A's. At the conclusion of the ceremony, we took photos with her before asking her to pose for a picture with her teacher, Mr. Reyes. That photo, her last photo ever, was taken at approximately 10.54 a.m. To celebrate, we promised to get her ice cream that evening 
I told her we loved her and we would pick her up after school. I can still see her walking with us toward the exit. In the reel that keeps scrolling across my memories, she turns her head and smiles back at us to acknowledge my promise. And then we left. I left my daughter at that school and that decision will haunt me for the rest of my life. During this hearing uh, in Congress, some of the folks appeared by video, uh, Kimberly Rubio did along with her husband. Some people were there in person. And one of the folks who was there speaking on the microphones in Washington is Dr. Roy Guerrero, who is a pediatrician uh, in South Texas. He treated a lot of the Uvalde victims, and he also is a graduate of that elementary school. And he told the congressmen and women who were listening to him that, just like you heard from Rubio, there, the day started pretty normal, just average day. And you think about where you were when certain things happened, Jeremy. When this news broke out, you told me that you were at a graduation deal for one of your kids. Yep. Right? And I think about where I was. Everybody will sit and think about where they were when they started to hear this and, and started to you know absorb the information. Um, and, and, and it starts to set in just how bad it is. Well, listen to how his day progressed from just normal dealing with sick kids sort of day into a complete nightmare. For me, that day started like any typical Tuesday in our pediatric clinic. Mom's calling for coughs, boogers, sports physicals, right before the summer rush. School was out in two days. Then summer camps would guarantee some grazes and ankle sprains, injuries that could be patched up and, and fixed with a Mickey Mouse sticker as a reward. Then at 12.30, business as usual stopped, and with it, my heart. A colleague from a San Antonio trauma center texted me and said, why are pediatric surgeons and anesthesiologists on call for a mass shooting in Uvalde? I raced to the hospital to find parents outside yelling children's names in desperation and sobbing as they begged for any news related to their child. Those mothers' cries I will never get out of my head. You hear that, Jeremy? He's saying that, and this is what happens in a crisis like this, the doctors start to figure out what kind of doctor they need on scene for the things that are happening, right? And so it may have been a mass shooting, let's say it had been at an office place with adults. Yep. That's horrible, and that's that's one thing. But when they start to say, we need pediatric surgeons, there's a reason for that. And they instantly know. These are little kids that have been shot. And you could see the lawmakers are affected by that. Even And I, I was making this point in a few interviews this week. Even the Republican lawmakers who are steadfast in their support of the Second Amendment, they hear these things, and it does have an effect on them, right? There's a political reality as well, of course. Uh, but I thought one of the things that was really remarkable this week is to hear from someone who has never really been on record about whether he's a Republican or a Democrat. On this show, we've almost made fun of him <laughs> for, for some of his past interviews, right? Because he wouldn't say much, right? It was, yeah. There was all this speculation about whether Matthew McConaughey was going to run for governor. Of course, he fueled that speculation by saying that he was considering that. Um, but it was hard to take him seriously. Uh, but I did think that one of the reasons that his speech this week at the White House resonated with folks so much is because of that. Because he has studiously avoided any overtly partisan statements. Or positions, right? This is somebody who's never voted in a primary in Texas and never, as far as we know, donated even to any politician on the left or the right. And what stuck in my head, and I know it did with you too, is his description 
of what happened to these children. You heard that pediatrician say that it was bad, right? And the, yeah. and during his testimony, during uh, Dr. Guerrero's testimony, he talked about, and I'm sorry, dear listener, this is graphic. I'll be, I'll try to be delicate about it. The, some of the children were decapitated by the weapons that were yeah. used. It's unbelievable. Um, and McConaughey talked about the fact, and his wife uh, brought these shoes. People have now seen the image of these shoes. Green Converse. And when you were that age, who didn't love a pair of Converse? She had green Converse, the high tops, you know. They look cool. And uh, this little girl who loved nature um, had drawn a heart on one of her Converse. And because her body was so badly mutilated by what had happened in the classroom with that assault rifle, well, I'll let Matthew say it in his speech here. The fact is that the shoes are the only way that they knew that that's who it was. You remember that they were using DNA to identify some of the other children. In this case, they knew because of the green shoes. Maite wore green high top converse with a heart she had hand drawn on the right toe because they represented her love of nature. Camilla's got these shoes. Can you show these shoes, please? Wore these every day. Green Converse with a heart on the right toe. These are the same green Converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. How about that? That uh, pounding sound you heard was his fist hitting the podium in anger, in rage, as a father. And I felt it. I know you felt it, too. I think people did everywhere. And, of course, she was not the only one who was so badly injured that it was difficult to figure out the identity of the various children. Um, and he talked about that as well. In fact, he talked to, uh, when, when he was visiting Uvalde, McConaughey talked to uh, someone who does the makeup at the mortuary, you know, for, for, for the people who are going to hopefully have open casket funerals. But a lot of these kids cannot have open casket funerals. These bodies were very different. They needed much more than makeup to be presentable. They needed extensive restoration. Why? Due to the exceptionally large exit wounds of an AR-15 rifle. Most of the body so mutilated that only DNA test or green converse could identify. Now, why is he speaking out about this so forcefully? Uvalde, Texas is where I was born. It's where my, my mom taught kindergarten less than a mile from Robb Elementary. New Valley is where I learned to master a, a, a Daisy BB gun. Took, that took two years before I graduated to a 410 shotgun. New Valley is where I was taught to revere the power and the capability of the tool that we call a gun. New Valley is where I learned responsible gun ownership. 
Jeremy, you saw that there were some talking heads on cable news, uh, Fox News in particular, where uh, McConaughey actually uh, did an interview uh, shortly after that speech. Uh, on Fox, he was sort of dismissed uh, by some of the hosts. So they said, what, this guy from Hollywood wants to tell us that we need to repair our values? And the fact is, this is a small town kid. You know, the people, I was thinking about this, people like to dump on Hollywood. They hate Hollywood and the Hollywood liberals. Of course, anytime a Republican finds uh, someone in Hollywood who's conservative, they will put them on every show on Fox News Channel, right, to have them talk about whatever their issue of the day is. Um, But these people come from everywhere. People who are big stars, in general, they're not born in Hollywood. They got to make their way to Hollywood. And a guy like Matthew McConaughey has done that. Yeah, exactly. And, and, And he is like... You can see how much he's affected by it because you know, it, it literally is his hometown. You know, he is like he, he lives in Texas. It's like it's like he's clearly connected to this. It's like so to kind of play him off as some sort of Hollywood liberal. Uh, it's like this isn't like, you know, no offense to like Susan Sarandon or whatever. It's like he, that's not that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a guy who like. He literally knows what it's like to be these children in Uvalde as a mm-hmm. child. You know, right. it's like it's like it's OK to cut him some slack in this moment, you know, and like it's not like anything he's saying is like for show at this point. Right. And it, look, this is somebody, as I mentioned, who has just avoided anything that was really substantive about politics previously. And this is a big issue to jump in on. And why would you do that? Because where you're from matters a lot. It's it's what shapes you. Yeah, and, and and remember, like, let's look at his, you know his past on this. I and mean, we've talked about it on the show before. Remember, he was cutting uh, uh, PSA announcements for Ken Paxton in the Attorney General's office. He's cut you know PSAs for you know Greg Abbott or, or worked with Greg Abbott you know, in the Department of Transportation. You know, did litter campaign. Like the guy's like, it's not like he's been like dumping on Republicans or democrats you know he's just he's been doing his thing you know it's like his opinions aside the guy's been Mm -hmm. like just trying to help out where he can right you know there's nothing wrong with it but so to think pick again how do you paint the guy who's cutting ads for ken paxton as this flaming hollywood liberal you know trying to promote some hollywood Mm. you know whatever you know just it just made me so angry (laughs) even in the speech that he gave this week McConaughey said, and I think there's some false equivalence in this, by the way, it'd be my only real criticism of what he said is that uh, he sort of laid the blame at both the feet of Democrats and Republicans. He said, look, both sides need to rise up and try to get to some resolution on policy. But you and I both know that there's one party that's ready to go on the kind of gun restrictions that he talked about, and one party is not, right? And so I wonder if once this all settles out, if there is no resolution from a policy standpoint from Congress, if McConaughey will call out the side that was blocking things here, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, it, w- it would be so nice to see, like, if there's you know some Republicans who could just go, you know, you know, get this job done and not worry about like the the electoral consequences down the road. And again, and we talked about it, you know, in the previous shows that like, you know, look, Florida raised the age. And mm-hmm. all those people who went up against the NRA there, and they are tough in Florida. The NRA there has some nasty, in a good way, lobbyists, right, who are just really hard to get around. But they Effective, stood up against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and they were able to, you know, still all those people who stood up against the NRA, they all got reelected. Like there was there was barely any political consequence. for Because guess what? It turns out everybody thinks an 18-year-old kid like this shouldn't have a gun. 
you know, that right. can decapitate a child in an elementary school. I think we're, we we all agree on that. I don't care where your philosophy is. This kid shouldn't have had this gun. We just have to figure out how do we pass a law that makes sure he doesn't get that gun. Is it mm. the age? Is it a red flag thing? Is it a, you know, there's so many things to do and to just throw up our hands and say, well, all we can do is make a tougher, you know, one door, you know, entrance to the school, mm. like which already happened. You know, it's like, whatever. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I, yes. <laughs> Why don't they uh, put a uh, one door at Allen High School, which has like 4,000 students yeah. or at uh, Seven Lakes High School in Fort Bend County, which has about the same number? It's not going to work, guys. This is yeah. that's, that's silliness. And I do think, and I've thought a lot about this, Jeremy. People keep saying this feels different. And you said something the week of the shooting that sticks with me, which is, look, it, it's been one, this is, isn't quite the way you said it, but one gimmick after another on, on a whole host of policy issues, whether it was property taxes, guns, whatever. Uh, after the shooting in 2018 at Santa Fe, what did they talk about? Well, Lieutenant Governor Patrick talked about doors. Well, you've had four years to fix the door situation if that was going to be the thing that would fix this, right? And that didn't happen. It, it happened, you know, the shooting happened anyway. Abbott bragged about passing 17 bills during legislative sessions that supposedly address mental health and school security and all of that. Why would you brag about legislation that didn't prevent what happened, right? Yeah. So, so McConaughey, after spending time in Uvalde this past week, he was talking with parents who have had their their lives destroyed. It, that's the kind of thing where you people will say, people need to check on those folks because that's the kind of thing where you don't forgive yourself. You heard that mother earlier; she's thinking that she can't believe she left her kid at the school, like that was some big choice to have made. Which, of course, I guess she could have taken the kid with her if she wanted to. But why would she do that? Why why wouldn't she feel like the kid was safe at school? You question everything. People. Um, who know those folks need to check on them a lot, but you know, um, right now, because this is very difficult. McConaughey said that when, when he talked to those folks individually, they all basically said the same thing, which is they want there to be some positive change that can come out of this disaster that unfolded for them. But every parent separately expressed in their own way to Camilla and me that they want their children's dreams to live on. That they want their children's dreams to continue to accomplish something after they are gone. They want to make their loss of life matter. And in his speech, Jeremy, he talked about specific things that could be done. He didn't just say do something. Remember the first uh, uh, messages we heard from everyone from Uvalde to Washington to all over the place was, quote, do something. President Biden, when he visited Uvalde, said, quote, we will. Um, Matthew McConaughey listed things, some of the things that you talked about, red flag laws. He talked about raising the age and all of that. Shortly after the uh, speech there at the White House, he did something that I thought was brilliant which is go straight to where people need to hear this message. And that is Fox News Channel. He appeared on Special Report with Brett Baer. And I know you, I'm sure you watched that. I watched that. And I thought the part of it that should resonate with any father, which you and I are both fathers, Brett and Matt are both fathers. Um, and they shared this moment where McConaughey said, if we're talking about this as Republicans and Democrats, 
we may not be able to come to any solution. But if you and I talk about this as fathers, right, we might be able to figure something out. We could probably agree about, you know, what it means to be a good dad and we could figure out something about that. And Brett Bear had this little smile on his face. And I'm here to tell you, any good dad who cares about his kids had probably had that same exact smile on his face as McConaughey was saying that. And I don't care if they're a Republican, Democrat, or what. So that was a nice moment of unity. But this is Fox News Channel. So after that, Sean Hannity was on the air later that same day, back on the attack, arguing that McConaughey and, quote, the left don't really care about kids. And what they want to do instead is stamp out your Second Amendment rights. In major cities like Chicago, Baltimore, L.A., New York, we have dozens of young men and women. Our national treasure shot and killed every single week. But we rarely hear about this kind of violence from Democrats, which is where the political aspect comes in. They only seem to really care about gun violence only when it becomes politically expedient for them. Now, keep in mind, almost all of America's most violent cities have been ruled by Democrats for decades. And every one of those cities has some of the strictest gun control laws in the country. Here's an idea. Let's all sing from the same hymnal. You heard him say that Chicago and these you know, big Democrat cities, that's the problem. Well, where else did I hear that in the last couple of weeks? Oh, yes, it was Governor Abbott during one of his first appearances. At, this may have been during the first appearance publicly after the shooting in Uvalde. This is during a news conference um, there in Uvalde, and he trotted this out as well. He was quick to compare gang violence in Chicago to those kids being gunned down in a classroom out there southwest of San Antonio. And I know people like to try to oversimplify this. Uh, let's talk about some real facts. And, and that is, there are, quote, real gun laws in Chicago. There are, quote, real gun laws in New York. There are real gun laws in California. I hate to say this, but there are more people who were shot every weekend in Chicago than there are in schools in Texas. And we need to realize that, that people who think that, well, maybe we just implement tougher gun laws, it's going to solve it. Chicago and L.A. and New York disprove that thesis. Here's a tip. If you hate to say something, maybe you should not say it. Um, the governor said that he hates to say that people get gunned down in all these Democrat cities all over the country. And uh, those body counts are much higher, Jeremy, than what we saw in any of our schools in Texas. A few, a few problems here, uh, at least in my mind. Number one, I would not, um, just as a point of uh, comparing data, I would not compare shootings on the street in Chicago to kids being gunned down in a classroom. I think that if, and look, every because people will say, immediately I'll get texts and emails and everything, and people will say, oh, what, you don't care about those lives? No, of course I do. But life is about risk and risk management. And if you walk down a street in a major city, maybe not very well lit, late at night, 11 o'clock, Saturday, that's a little different from dropping your kid off at school in the morning, right? Maybe a little... Um, and then the other thing is, if you were going to compare apples to apples, you would compare the, you know, the death rate or the murder rate in Chicago to the murder rate in Dallas or in Houston. 
where you know that we're bragging in uh, Houston now that we have a few you know fewer murders this year than last year at this point uh, on the calendar. Uh, there's a lot wrong with that argument. Yeah, yeah, and I th- and I do believe you know Governor Abbott and everybody in Texas would be offended if somebody say in Chicago would or say, well, look at the per capita murder rate in Uvalde. It's like in our rural communities, we don't have, you know, you know, 21 dead people in cities of 15 to 16,000 people on a given day. You know, it's like we would be completely offended by that. Right. It's right. like and so to, to in the middle of this to be saying, oh, but it's worse in these other places. It's like, but look what the other places are doing. New York just raised the age to purchase an AR-15 from 18 mm. to 21. Florida mm. did it two years ago. We're, we're not talking about like it being the only solution. It's like, but it's clearly, it's like, it, it, we've, everybody's seen this now. It's like that, you know, from 18 to 21, 22, it's like, it's almost all of the mass shooters. You know, mm. it's like, you know, it takes in so many of them and they just, it, it just may be the wrong time for them to be able to purchase you know, to have their Second Amendment right, you know, at such a young age. It's like being, you know, I've talked to my kids about this a lot because mm-hmm. you know, they know more than I do at this point because they've been more recently 18. Uh, but they said <laughs> today's 18-year-old isn't the same as the 18-year-old from the 1940s and 50s who were expected to go to war and have, you know, m- be married and have children all by the age of 20. You know, right. it's like that's not happening now. It's like now the 18-year-old kid you know, is surrounded by all kinds of, you know, violent video games and media and, you know, he has access to guns, there's a social media, there's a loneliness that's going on with these guys. And, you know, they, they, they get, you know, like these, you know, relationships with, you know, women and girls that like they, they can't process right yet. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and, and it just, it just takes some time. And like, so it's like a massive, a lot of things to take care of. And so by, talking about raising the age on the gun that no that's not the magic that's going to fix all of this but it's at least a step to make sure that we know this kid who tried to get a gun before he was 18 couldn't do it he tried to get his sister to buy him a gun and she wouldn't do it you know it's like so he he clearly like that law was effective in making sure he couldn't get a law get that ar-15 until he was at least 18 why not just move it up a couple years you know, when people have a little bit more distance from high school and realize that everything in high school wasn't live or die as much as we thought it was. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everything you know, is, the things everything that we thought is were a so drama show. We're not, you know. Right. Well, and I'll I tell you, I have had a lot of conversations over the last couple of weeks with Republicans who think that, you know, a lot of 18 year olds are not quite right. Uh, so we're, yeah. we're, we're looking at what they might do in Washington. President Biden was on Jimmy Kimmel on ABC. Um He's on ABC, right? Yeah, Jimmy uh-huh. Kimmel, uh, who asked him about whether there are really good f- faith efforts uh, in Washington happening right now. And, and, and Kimmel wanted to get into the question of whether the Republicans are serious when they say that they do want to tackle this uh, in, a, in, in a substantive way. It seemed like Kimmel was, and he's pretty liberal, he, he was pretty uh, skeptical of that. And here's what Biden said. Well, I think many of them do. Uh, you know, I get in trouble for saying this, but uh, I get on. Uh, we have very different views on a lot of things, but I, uh, I've always had a straight relationship with uh, with the majority with the Republican leader, Mitch McConnell. You know, he's a guy that when he says something, he means it. I disagree with a lot of what he says, but he means it. 
Now, of course, President Biden is a creature of the United States Senate. And so I think it's interesting to hear him say that about his Republican colleagues or former colleagues. He talks about McConnell as somebody that he knew. He often talks about uh, Lindsey Graham as somebody that he you know, used to work with on different things. But, uh, Jeremy, it's, it's sort of a different Senate from when he was there. He's yeah. been out of the Senate for a little while. Um, you know, he was obviously vice president to uh, President Obama. And there was a day, a day and age I sound as old as I could sound, back in my day, you had a Senate where they could kind of get along you know, on, on, on various things. They would be a little more bipartisan about things. But if you know the history of the United States Senate, it, there was a moment where that was kind of true. But before that, if you go way back to the civil rights era and when they were pushing for the Voting Rights Act and all of that, there was a long time where the Senate was really a roadblock. Like the, the, the Senate just held, right? And there was no, and if you go way back, we didn't even have direct election of senators, right? The yep. people didn't vote on the senators. That so was handled in a different way. Uh, after they were, uh, you know, made responsible to voters, they started acting a little bit different. Um, but we do live in this polarized nation. I do think that if you have John Cornyn and if you have um, Mitch McConnell blessing Cornyn's efforts, you have them going to the negotiating table. They must be seeing something in their polling, Jeremy, that says that for statewide races, remember, these are not the quote-unquote gerrymandered, redrawn congressional districts. For U.S. senators, they have to run statewide. And they must be seeing something in their polling that's telling them that the Republican efforts to take the majority in the U.S. Senate could be in danger because of this gun issue right now. Yeah, and, and, and listen to the names you just you know, threw out. It's like it's interesting to look at those states. So you have a guy like Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn, right? They share the state you know, with, you know, in this case, uh, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, as I can. So you have these two, right. you know, two incredibly different explanations of how the Senate used to work and now currently works. You know, before Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, there was a different kind of a Senate that Joe Biden's talking about. But, you know, from, you know, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and Tom Cotton and like, you yeah. know, Josh Hawley's, Holly, yeah, yeah. Like, you just keep getting more and more like the Senate lost that thing that was like that made it feel like it was a different place than the U.S. Mm -hmm. House. It's, you know, just like it's happened in, you know, you know, the Texas Senate in Texas House. And you know, I saw it happen in the Florida House and Florida Senate. You know, mm -hmm. the Senate is slower to become more run by you know, uh, a more far right or far left, you know, type of approach. But that's yeah. what like we're kind of starting to see the, the, the things that, you know, Ted Cruz and uh, Rand Paul have done in their time there are things that just wouldn't have happened 20 years right. ago. You know, it's yes. like those guys would like would never even have made it in there. But now there's a certain part of the party that reveres what they're doing and they yes. become the presidential contenders mm -hmm. where Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn are not. So go figure that out. <laughs> Just sort that out. The, the guys who are sitting there trying to find compromise that will help the masses mm -hmm. and not just their own party are less likely to be presidents than the ones who are going completely hard right. I would say this for Cornyn as well. Uh, he still has uh, aspirations to maybe be the minority or majority leader someday if Republicans are in the minority or the majority uh, when McConnell finally hangs it up, if that ever happens. He's kind of a senator for, for forever. I was going to say for life, just forever. <laughs> he's, 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 he's the senator from eternity. Um, for Cornyn, 
if he was able to put together a deal on something that's this difficult, that would be a real test of leadership, yeah. right? And the, and I think the senators and the people in the caucus would remember that. And they, it's sort of the inside game on some of that stuff with the Senate is he has to count to 10 Republicans who could agree to something that all the Democrats in the Senate would agree to as well, which is a tall order. Um, and the senators who might vote for that would be appreciative if it's something that would help them in their Senate races this year, right? And the senators who he leaves out of it would be appreciative to him, right? That he yeah. didn't put any pressure on them and that they could just be no votes on the whole thing. Senator Cornyn on the floor of the Senate gave another speech this past week and said um, that, look, he's happy to work on keeping guns away from the wrong people and addressing mental health. But you know how if a sentence includes the word but Everything that you said before that like doesn't even matter. <laughs> so so here's what comes after Cornyn's but, and it's a big but. He says, look, we are not going after the Second Amendment here. People who are law-abiding gun owners are still going to have the ability to exercise that right. I want to be clear, though. We are not talking about restricting the rights of current law-abiding gun owners or citizens. This is a constitutional right as much as that may go against the grain of some of our colleagues who'd like to see us do things to restrict the rights of American citizens under the Second Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is guaranteed by the Constitution itself. And the vast majority of the Republican conference feels certainly the same way. What I'm interested in is keeping guns out of the hands of those who by current law are not supposed to have them. People with mental health problems, people with, who are, have criminal records. Again, this is about the art of the possible. The art of the possible. Greg Popovich, who is a fellow San Antonian to John Cornyn. He says that it's pretty interesting that Cornyn is at the negotiating table. Uh, Pop, Coach Pop, he spoke at a rally uh, down in San Antonio. They'll listen to us if we're angry enough and if we're committed enough. Because right now, even Senator Cornyn said something like, well, I'm willing maybe to talk to some of the Democrats about a couple of things. Why is that all of a sudden? Why? November! Because he's afraid of the vote. Former San Antonio mayor and HUD secretary Julian Castro at that same rally said that simply focusing on mental health, as Senator Cornyn has done in large part, you know, uh, Castro says that's not going to cut it. This is a uniquely American problem. Right. Other countries have video games. Other countries have an entertainment industry. Other countries have schools that don't have locked doors. Other countries have people with mental health challenges. Other countries have deep poverty. Other countries have gangs. Other countries have drugs. Other countries do not have the easy access to weapons of war that the United States has and should get rid of in the weeks to come. So, Jeremy, in visiting with Republican legislators about this, um, there are not a lot of ideas that are brought to the table specific to the gun. Right. It's always about the doors on the building. It's always about mental health care. And in every conversation that I've had with Republicans about it, people I respect and people who are my friends, 
I have said, look, I, I'll give, I'll grant you all of this, that all of these things need to be discussed, right? That, that it is school security, that it is mental health, that it is what's going on with the young men. Like you were talking about, Jeremy, with these, some of these uh, kids who just haven't figured out their, they, these, these guys can't figure out how to talk to a girl. And we think that they ought to be running around with a gun, right? Maybe you should slow down, <laughs> slow down and uh, figure out your life first. So, so what are we going to do about the guns in, in conversations? I, I have said every bit, every bit of this is important. Um, that, that the whole idea that there's breakdown of the traditional family, that's important. You have a lot of these kids who run around, uh, with no father. I was thinking about the other day, the fact that, um, when I was a younger reporter, I used to cover some of these workforce training programs in Houston. And what happens in these, uh, programs is, is a lot of, um, uh, disadvantaged children, economically disadvantaged. Um, and a lot of them don't have a father figure at home. And so I was thinking about one of the graduation ceremonies uh, where I would watch these young men who are largely African-American and Latino. They go up to the, and these are kids who don't have a G, or they either don't have a GED, uh, don't have a high school diploma, certainly haven't, go to co haven't gone to college, any of that. And what they do have is they've gone through a workforce development program where they're going to do things like hang drywall, or do some kind of specialty interior work, work on construction, that sort of stuff, work with their hands and build things that they can be proud of. And during some of these programs, what they do uh, for them is they give each of the kids a mentor who teaches them all this stuff. And for the graduation ceremony, what they do is they walk the kid up to the front of the, uh, of the auditorium and their mentor will read from a list of the things that they've learned to do, right? Is it, this guy is one of the best drywall hangers I've ever seen. This kid can, uh, you know, he can, he can handle this tool and that tool, uh, better than uh, the last three people I've mentored or whatever. And they're, they're reading all this and you can see on the kid's face, this is an 18 year old, 19 year old person. You can see that they've never had anybody be proud of them like that. Yeah. It's very moving. Okay. So I get that, that that's all important. But if you can't give to me that the gun is also important, then this isn't a real conversation. Right. If we're going to say, if we're going to talk about this in a holistic sense, the why these shootings happen, you've got to include the gun. So I would like to know what various Republican lawmakers are willing to talk about on this and say that they might not that they're you know saying they're going to vote for it now, but what they might support. I saw Representative Tony Gonzalez, who represents Uvalde, Texas. He was on television with a journalist named Leland Vittert and uh, Congressman Gonzalez was trying to say that, look, the focus should be on school security, on mental health, and the conversation sort of devolved from there. Certainly a lot of questions. We need to learn. We need to figure out, you know, how can we how can we learn from uh, some of the uh, the different errors that happened in Uvalde? How do we get stronger? How do we incur, in, increase uh, training? How do we increase uh, mental health facilities? How do we lock doors? How do we have no, single uh, how All do you, those things. Yeah, no, uh, Billions of dollars spent on school security. Uh, the door didn't lock, and at least as of now, uh, we think that there's a chance Pete Arredondo, uh, the chief of police of the school district, either didn't have a radio or didn't follow his training or both standing outside the door. Uh, I don't have to tell you that there's a big push to, to learn also to how to keep guns out of the hands of people who might do this. Very simply... Uh, if the age to buy a weapon like this was raised to 21, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, is there a reason to start putting those kinds of gun control measures on the table?
You know, I'm I'm for the all of the above. Uh, bring it all to the table, and, and sadly, this well, no, is. I, I understand. I've, I've watched some of your interviews, and it's great to say bring them all to the table. But at some point, you got to think about what actually you would be in favor of supporting. Raising yeah, the I've, age to buy rifles to 21 is that on the table for you? Something you could support? You, you know where it starts is it starts with leadership in the House, and Nancy Pelosi is not bringing people to the to the table. Jeremy, someone like Representative Gonzalez is in a tough spot, right? I mean, he represents the area. He was one of the very first people to greet uh, President Biden uh, when he went to visit the uh, victims' families in Uvalde. And he's been trying to make this case that he's open to all ideas. But then when you try to pin him down on any of it, there is a reality that he has to run a Republican primary just like every other GOP office holder. And so he wants to be very careful about what he's saying. Yeah, and and that's a very good point. Remember, he barely won his Republican primary uh, against Raul Reyes. You know, it's like we're talking like twenty-one votes. You know, decided that primary, and so he knows what he's working in. And 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 it's funny, just kind of listening and made me think. Remember, like you know, the congressman who represented that before him was Will Hurd. And it would be, you know, imagine how different, like maybe some of these conversations might be with Will Hurd. You know, he 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 had a tendency to you know, uh, call BS on President Trump, even though he was Republican, he would mm. call, you know, Republicans out on race issues and, and all kinds of issues, you know, mm. and it was just, and that, that district is so interesting, you know, it's like, there's so mm. much about it. And it's like, and, you know, I, I like, I'll give him, uh, Gonzalez some, some time to kind of develop in there. Uh, yeah. he, he, like he's barely been in there. You know, like he's, mm-hmm. he's just finishing up, you know, his first term, you know, in Congress. And so as he goes along, I think he'll be out that maybe maybe the answer won't be well, it starts with Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> it just seems like a weird answer to any question. Uh, I don't know. I think, well, especially way- if you're. If you're a Republican, maybe the answer should not start with, well, this is up to Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, and, um, I, and I get what he was trying – like you could see where yes, he was I, trying to get mm-hmm. there. And I think I think he's – you know, I, I think if he's just been clearer about, you know, I'm willing to talk about gun policies, you know, and it'd be a little bit more specific. You know, I have – I want to check out if raising the age to 21 in Florida and other states has it had an impact. How do mm-hmm. I – you know, it's like, there's ways to work on this. <laughs> as my, as my soon-to-be 18-year-old had said to me, it's like the, the fact that I can't vape but I can go buy an AR-15 seems mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> it's like yeah. you know, we, we don't let kids at 18 buy vape pipes anymore and well, yet un- unless you know, they join the military yes in yes. texas you have to be 21 to smoke now they passed that law in 2019 and as i have pointed out there are ways to craft the legislation to where you address these arguments right if you if you're willing to go serve your country you can man up and have a pack of cigarettes a day. <laughs> yeah. they, they say that they say that is just Fine. So while while Congressman Gonzalez figures out what he's going to do and while Senator Cornyn tries to hammer out some sort of agreement, I keep coming back to that little voice, Jeremy. Um, We started with uh, that 11 year old uh, Mia Cedillo, the girl who was playing dead in the classroom and her testimony before Congress was just unbelievable. You think about the bravery of that little girl being able to sit there and say that. Uh, on camera and on some level knowing that everyone's going to see it, right? I think kids now are, are a little more aware of when you say something into a camera, like who all yep. is going to say it? it all goes around the world, right? They probably, she, she may have her own little 
uh, Instagram or Twitter. Or to, my daughter tells me Twitter is for old people. She's just making fun of me. But as part of this little girl's testimony, she was asked if she's going to feel safe this fall when they go back to school. Listen. Do you feel safe at school? Why not? And you think it's going to happen again? When the gentleman who was interviewing her said, do you think it's going to happen again? She is nodding. Yes, it will happen again. And can you imagine listening to her say that and listening, you know, listen to her, tell her story. And then you don't actually do anything. As you have pointed out, Jeremy, in Texas, in all likelihood, no laws will be different for the next school year. Congress could act faster. The governor could act quicker, right? He could call a special session of the legislature. There seems to be no appetite for that whatsoever. But it just breaks my heart. I, I see this girl who's 11, and as I was watching the video, I was thinking about my daughter, who is, and I don't think that, I don't think this, I don't think this would embarrass her. She she suffers from a little bit of social anxiety, like a lot of you know young people do. Uh, it's very difficult for her to talk to people who are strangers. And the idea that she would sit there and say all of this, share something that happened to her that is so scary, so traumatic, it's not just heartbreaking, but it makes you think that these folks, the people of good faith, would really try to do something to address it. Well, and and what, what that girl said at the end really hits you, because, you know, is this going to happen, get, happen again? It's like, yeah, we know it's going to. It's just... Now, the, the, the only question is, will it be your school? Is it going to be the one on your street? It's like, I think it's happened enough in Texas now. It's like, there's one of these shootings basically every year. Mm-hmm. It's like, we know another school will be shot up. It's like, it's now, it's like, so like listening to her testimony when she ended it like that, I thought mm-hmm. to myself, it's like, yeah, who's next? Who's next? You know, it's like and it makes me so sad that we know this is going to happen again and there's nothing that's going to be any bit different when we start the school year this next year. There's going to be some tinkering with some school safety plans and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. But it's not like there's nothing that's going to stop another 18 year old kid who feels like he's left out of society from buying an AR-15 and saying, you know what, I'm going to top that kid. You know, I'm going to do even worse than he did. And I'm going to show everybody like how whatever's in his soul, you know, it's it's tough. As somebody else said uh, earlier this week, uh, just think about systemically how many things had to go wrong for Matthew McConaughey to be the guy that this responsibility falls to. Yeah. To be the (laughs) spokesman for trying to get something fixed. Right. All right. That's enough of this show. Um, and I, I promise we will get back to talking about other things as well. I know you want to hear our thoughts on a whole host of things that are happening. Um, but I did think it was appropriate to stick with this at least one more time. And of course we will continue to follow this as well, uh, very closely in the weeks, months, and, and years to come for sure. If you enjoy the show, we appreciate it. You should be a subscriber on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcast, give us the best rating that you can. Please subscribe at quorumreport.com and HoustonChronicle.com, and we'll talk to you next week. Mm